Before we get into the sermon this morning, there are a few comments I need to make, especially, um, especially for those who might be visiting us this morning for the first time, or if you haven't been with us uh, for the last few weeks. Uh, today, you are uh, getting, or we're getting into the second part of a uh, two-part sermon series on money. Uh, if you have missed last week, um, we are talking about money, not because the church uh, needs money, not because we are in a financial crisis. Uh, if anything, we have made it a point uh, not to be talking about money and um, not to be soliciting extra funds, uh, except for the work of missions. Uh, the, the primary reason why when we have done special fundraising campaigns in the last eight years here, uh, particularly when we have encouraged people to give above and beyond, have been for missions. And we want to keep that trajectory. Um, yet even though we don't bring up financial requests very often, the Bible does talk a lot about money. And the Bible speaks about how we should view our possessions. The Bible teaches us that we should desire um, to, ha- to think carefully, uh, not, o- not primarily in having more money, but if we desire to have more, it should be so that we can give more. Uh, when we think about des- desires towards money, the primary and the, the, the safest desires for possessions are to have them so that we can give them. So in our very short series on, on, on possessions, on money, that we started last week and we're concluding today, last week we looked at our hearts and possessions. That is what we covered last week, our hearts and possessions. We said that though possessions are a gift from the Lord and God gives us strength to get wealth, our hearts could develop certain attitudes toward possessions that are dangerous for our souls. And, and one of those dangerous attitudes toward possessions is uh, the desire to have more that is covetousness. The desire to have more that is covetousness. So last week, we considered two points. Guard against all covetousness and seek to be rich towards God. At the end of the service last week, uh, someone asked if, if every uh, desire to have more possession is necessarily a wrong desire. And how can we know whether a desire for having more possessions is necessarily wrong or, or right? Uh, I thought it was a very good question. I thought I would address it before we get into today's sermon. Um, the desire to have more possessions is not intrinsically wrong. It's not wrong in and of itself to have more possessions. After all, Paul said the following in Ephesians 4, 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. In other words, Paul encouraged the Christians in Ephesus to uh, work with their own hands so they could have money, not only for their own needs, but so that they can share with others in need. So the desire to to work, uh, the longing to be able to have a good job, especially if you're a student and you're hoping to be done with your studies and hopefully God can bless you with a good job, the desire to have a good job should be not only so that you can have more money for yourself, but so that you can actually give more. That is a good desire. So it's not wrong in and of itself to desire to have more possessions. However, 
the desire to have more, oftentimes is motivated by deeper desires. And if we don't check exactly what's a deeper desire behind our desire to have more, we can actually easily allow the root of covetousness to, to grow in our hearts. So ask yourself, what motivations lie behind the desire to have more possessions? Is the desire motivated by the assumption that having more money will make you happier? Is it motivated by the assumption that having more resources would define who you are? Is the lack of possessions robbing us of being content in God? If the desire for more money makes it more difficult for us to be happy in God, and it makes it more difficult for us to be content in what we already have, then our desires are likely wrong-headed. Also, if the chase after money or the desire for money is done at the expense of keeping God at the center of our lives, our desires for possessions are likely also wrong-headed. If, if the desire for possessions has a stronghold in your heart, your desire for it will choke out the health of your soul. All this was in, 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 in follow-up to, to last week. Also, last week after the sermon, um, Gloria came to me and reminded me of what, uh, what was said at Jinx's funeral. Jinx was uh, one of the earliest funerals that, that I had done here at Park Hills Baptist Church. It's been quite a few years now, but um, I, re- Gloria reminded me of one phrase that someone said about Jinx at his funeral, and I thought, that phrase deserves to be repeated so that we all hear it. Here's what was said about a man who lived among us for decades. He was very rich in all the things that money cannot buy. So when we think about possessions, this is the kind of life we want to live. Whether God blesses us with a lot or with less, we want to to live our lives, to spend our lives, to live in such a way that, that we are rich in the things that money cannot buy. All of this, friends, is a follow-up from last week. Today, as we, as we consider the more, more details about um, practical steps or practical aspects about giving to the Lord, if last week we talked about a heart and possessions, this week we want to talk about how do we focus on the practicalities? How do we cultivate practices that, that not only uh, keep giving to the Lord, but actually keep increasing our generosity for the Lord and giving to the Lord. How should we give? Are there particular amounts that we should give? What principles should we go by when we consider giving to the Lord? So all of these questions we want to address this morning. And uh, the theme of our, of our sermon this morning is giving in light of God's grace. The passage we will look at um, is First Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, verses uh, from 1 to 15, and then we'll read chapter 9 from verses 6 to 15. Um, We're reading these portions of Scripture, uh, and I want to warn you, this is not the only passage we'll be looking at this morning. Uh, Actually, we'll be looking at a few other passages as well. But uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'll be reading the first 15 verses, and then we'll be reading um, the second half of chapter 9. Here's God's Word for us this morning. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, 
their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. We'll continue reading God's Word with chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them, all, for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Amen. This is the work of the Lord for us. Let's uh, pray and ask God to, pre- to bless the preaching of His word for our hearts. Father, 
you have given us so much in Jesus Christ. You have shown us a generosity that is beyond what any of us could experience of our own or in our own power. Father, we pray that as we look at Jesus Christ, as we look at the grace you have given us, that we may increase in the grace of generosity. We pray that this would happen for the glory of your great name and that this, this would happen for the increase of gratefulness and gratitude for what you have done for us in Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Giving in light of God's grace. One of the questions that Christians often wonder when we think about or consider giving to the Lord, as we talk about being good stewards of of the possessions God gives us, one of the questions that Christians often think about is, um, should Christians tithe? We want this morning, before we get into the passage we just read in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we want to look first at what the Bible says about tithing. And uh, we want to look at the biblical teaching about tithing first, and then we'll make our way to Paul's teaching about giving that we have read in this passage. The, the two points of, of the sermon this morning, there, there are going to be two points, and the second point will have eight subpoints. So just be ready. Two major points and eight subpoints in the second major point. How should we think about tithing, and how should we think about giving? Uh, tithing in the Old Testament. If you're a new Christian, or if you've, you're not familiar with a Christian faith, uh, this word tithing may, may be new to you. Uh, from the earliest days of the biblical story, we see people giving to God a portion of their possessions. In the Old Testament, God had asked his people to give 10% of all their income and produce. And the gift of 10% of all their income or produce uh, that was supposed to be given to the Lord was called a tithe. God said in Leviticus 27, 30, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. In Numbers 18, 21, God said to the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. In the Old Testament in particular, if you remember, when God had given his people the land of Canaan, he had distributed the land to the 11 tribes. Uh, and the 12th twel- tribe, the, the tribe of Levi, did not get any inheritance. And the point was that God would ask the 11 tribes to bring a tithe, to bring 10% of, of everything that they got yearly, year after year, and the, the tithes were going to belong to the Levites. They would earn their living uh, through the gifts that God's people would give regularly uh, to, God's, uh, to the ministry of the temple or the tent. Now, besides a tithing, God also desires that his people would make free will offerings. Uh, these were different than the tithes. If the tithe was a specific amount of 10% from everything, free will offerings had no specific amount attached to it. So what we see in the Old Testament is that God's people had been asked not only to give and to bring their tithes, 
but also their offerings. Um, and, and God told his people that when they bring this giving to the Lord, they honor the Lord. In one instance, when the people of God chose not to bring their tithes uh, to the temple, God called them out on it and indicted them with the phrase, Will man rob God? In Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, God said to his people, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. And you say, How have we robbed you? And God says, In your tithes and contributions. Now, you, you only use the language of robbing if you take something that is not yours. Right? Yet God says when you, to his people in the Old Testament, when you don't bring your tithes, even though they're your possessions, you're actually robbing me. Why? Because God established from the very beginning that the tithes belong to the Lord. On one side, we would say, well, the, 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 the possessions belong to the people. But God says, no, the possessions are mine. And I want you to bring 10% of it back to me, and that is mine. And when you withhold it, you are taking from the Lord what is the Lord's. It's interesting that the Lord would challenge, would indict his people with this, with this language, with this imagery. You are robbing me. Even in the, in, even in the sense of, of just withholding the 10% that, that God asked them to give. When we come to the New Testament, the talk about tithing is significantly diminished. We see Jesus speak about tithing only in two scenarios. The first one is in Luke 18. Jesus gives a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Do you remember the, that, that parable, the Pharisee and the tax collector? Both of them go to the temple, and Jesus compares how each of them pray to God. And the tax collector, among other things, he says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And we might say, wow, that's great. This man was proud and exalted himself through his religious practice. And yet Jesus at the end said, whose prayer was more accepted? This Pharisee who prayed this way or the sinner who prayed to God and said, God, have merciful to, uh, for, uh, to me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, it was... It was the, 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 the poor man who asked God for mercy. His prayer was accepted. Now, the point here is, it's not that, is it wrong to fast or to tithe just because it's Pharisee boasted in those activities? No, it's not wrong to fast or to tithe. It means, however, that fasting or giving money to God, apart from a heart that has been changed by the Spirit of God, will do us no good. We want to speak about giving money to God, not as causing our good status before God. That is not the purpose of giving money to God. If we take any pride in how much money we're giving to God and use that to numb our need for God, we are in deep danger. The second scenario uh, where Jesus speaks about tithing is in Matthew 23, uh, when, when Jesus gives the a woe to the Pharisees. And that same message is, is repeated again in Luke 11. Jesus says to the Pharisees, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, 
hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Here, Jesus does not suspend the practice of tithing, even though he makes it clear that religion is not merely about giving money to God, or it's not merely about keeping certain religious practices. It is possible, friends, that some people are happy to hide their hypocrisy behind the practice of giving money to the church. Some people may try to manipulate God. Some people may try to silence their conscience by giving money to the church. Jesus is not saying to the hypocrites, stop giving to God. But he's saying, giving money to God does not make you right with God. But don't stop giving to God. Get what God is about. Get what God's heart is about. The generosity that we see in the New Testament is a generosity that doesn't stop with a tithe. If anything, Jesus says, don't stop tithing. But don't, don't, don't think that if you get to tithing, you are okay. When we look at the New Testament, the only other place about that refers to tithing is in the book of Hebrews. And even that refers to Abraham, when Abraham tithed, gave a tenth to Melchizedek. Outside of that, the New Testament does not speak about tithing. So while there's a specific amount in the Old Testament that clearly spoke about 10%, um, this kind of percentage is not explicitly commanded um, in the New Testament. What is clear, however, is that God's people are not to limit their giving to the 10%. And yet statistics show that only, and here's some statistics I read. I don't know how these statistics, how true they are, but here's what I've read. Only 10 to 25% of Christians actually tithe. Uh, The Barna Group reports that among born-again Christians, only 12% tithe. Donald Whitney, in his outstanding book on uh, spiritual disciplines for the the God life, uh, he speaks about a trend among American Christians. And the trend that he found was that the more money Christians have, the less percentage they give to God. A Gallup report from 1988, that's 30 years from ago, showed the following. That Christians who are making less than $10,000 a year, not a month, a year, gave an average of 2.8% of their income to the Lord. Those making between 10000 and 30000 gave an average of 2.5%. Those making between 30,000 and 50,000 gave an average of 2.0%. And those making between 50,000 and 75,000 gave an average of 1.5%. Do you see the trend here? And the, the point is this when, when we have more money, we might give a greater amount of money, but we might actually give a, a smaller percentage compared to our income. And sometimes when Christians think about the question, should we tithe? Oftentimes, the question is is put in such a way that we want to excuse 
our desire not to give at least 10% to the Lord. So we want to think about what does the rest of the New Testament, when we think about giving to the Lord, what does it look like to give in light of God's grace? We don't want to think about giving merely in light of the command to tithe. We want to think about giving in light of God's grace. So point number two in our sermon, we're going to now look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and we're going to see eight subpoints, eight applications from this passage. One of the richest passages that speaks about why Christians should give to the Lord and how we should give to the Lord is found in the letters that Paul writes to the Corinthians. This passage we read and another passage in 1 Corinthians 16 speak about some principles about giving to God in light of His grace. Now, in the chapters we just read, the giving that Paul speaks about is not the, he's not talking about the regular giving to the local church. He's actually here collecting funds for the saints, for the poor in the church in Jerusalem. Uh, their Christian brothers and sisters in the church in Jerusalem were going through an extreme poverty. So Paul has made a request for a special love offering for the church in Jerusalem uh, beyond and on top of what they were giving for the ministry of the local church. The church in Corinth has promised a, uh, a year earlier that they want to raise a special love offering for the church in Jerusalem. If we turn a few pages over prior, earlier, in 1 Corinthians uh, 16, 1-4, Paul wrote about how Christians in Corinth should plan for this giving. A year later, by the time Paul wrote the, second, uh, the letter to 2 Corinthians, the church in Corinth has still not done their love offering. So Paul is sending some people ahead of time, ahead of, of the collection, to actually prepare the Corinthians um, so that they might be reminded of what they have forgotten to do. So that they would raise the collection for the church in Jerusalem, and when they raise it, that it would not be such a small amount that it would humiliate, humiliate them, especially because Paul boasted to other churches that the church in Corinth was going to raise up money for the church in Jerusalem. So Paul writes in these chapters that he's sending a few brothers ahead to prepare the church in Corinth so they might give to the Lord for this particular collection so that it would not feel like a, a forced giving. It would not be like a small minutia giving, but it would be a generous giving. It would be a, a, a giving that would be given willingly. Paul was concerned that the Corinthians would, would give to the Lord not out of obligation, but out of a willing heart. So we have these two chapters that give us instruction how to give to the Lord in light of His grace. Eight applications about giving to the Lord in light of God's grace. Here's the first application. Here's the first principle. Give because of grace. Paul makes an appeal to the Corinthians to give and when he makes the appeal, notice what is the reason why they should give. Look at verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 9. Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Why give to the Lord? Because you know the grace because you know the grace of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus Christ do? 
we, might, we know he came to die on a cross. But here, when Paul examines the gospel, when Paul examines the grace of God, he actually focuses not merely on the cross, he focuses on a decision that Jesus Christ experienced before he actually became incarnate. Though he was rich, yet he became poor. In his pre-incarnate existence, Christ was glorious. Christ experienced the, the riches, the, the glamorous inheritance that God has given him. Though he experienced all that, he chose not to keep it. He did not keep it with a tight fist. He, he chose to, to forsake it, to, to leave that aside. And instead he became poor so that through his poverty, we might become heirs of the riches of Christ. But the story of Jesus tells us about his status before he was born. And, and his richness was not something that, that was taken out of his hand with a force. Jesus also didn't just give it away because of compulsion. He was willingly. The riches were not taken from him. He didn't lose the riches because of a tragic event. He gave them up so that through his poverty... The poor, we, those who have been poor spiritually, might become rich in God. So now, when we think about giving, we give because of grace. When we have experienced the grace of God in our lives, we have a new reason to give that the Old Testament saints never had. Have you ever thought about that? In the New Testament, we have a reason to give that the Old Testament's saints did not have. Unlike the Old Testaments who were commanded to tithe, we are now encouraged to consider giving because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, when you consider giving to God, do you give merely to satisfy God's command for you to give? Or do you give because of what God has done for us in Jesus? Paul points to the churches in Macedonia. That's how he starts this chapter. They were generous. They were generous not because they had money. They were generous despite the fact that they were experiencing extreme poverty. How can people who experience extreme poverty be generous? Because generosity is not caused by what you have, but by who you are in Jesus Christ. The churches in Macedonia experienced the grace of God. That's how part Paul starts this, this, this chapter. Verse 1, we want you brothers to know, and we might expect him to say, we want you brothers to know about the generosity of the church in Macedonia. And that's not what Paul says. He starts off and says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Friends, in order to be generous, we need not money, but God's grace. It is the grace of God that makes the people of God to be generous towards God and towards the needs of their fellow brothers and sisters. Friends, if the grace of God in our lives was, was measured by how we give to the Lord, 
I wonder how much grace would there be measured in your life. What amazes me about the churches of Macedonia is that despite their severe test of affliction, they still experience an abundance of joy and a wealth of generosity. Friends, those elements don't belong to the same sentence. Extreme poverty, abundance of joy, and a wealth of generosity naturally do not belong in the same sentence unless unless there's a knot in it. Humanly, you can't explain this. But you know what they had? What explains this reality? They had the grace of God. The grace of God was manifested among them. So give because of grace. But also Paul says, second principle, give as an act of grace. Because Paul sees our giving to be caused by God's grace in us, Paul also considers such giving to be an act of grace. He says in chapter 8, verse 7, See that you excel in this act of grace also. Friends, have you ever considered that your giving to the Lord is actually an act of grace? When we give because of grace, our giving becomes an act of grace. Do you see how this view of giving is, is so much higher, so much greater than reminding us to be stuck only on the notion of tithing? Uh, in, the, in, the, in the readings I've done this week, I don't remember reading about tithing to be an act of grace. But here, as Paul speaks about giving in light of God's grace, now giving becomes an act of grace. A third application about giving to the Lord. Give not reluctantly, nor under compulsion, but cheerfully. Look at chapter 9, verse 7. Paul says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Friends, giving to God should not be done with a reluctant heart. Now, what is a reluctant heart? The reluctant heart is the heart that is on the fence about whether or not to give to the Lord. It is a heart that might give to God, but gives with feelings of grief or pain. You might give to the Lord, but it is painful for you to give to the Lord. That's what it means to give to God reluctantly. You give, but uh, it's lacking the joy. It's lacking the gratitude. Others might give to the Lord under compulsion. They only give when something makes them feel guilty to give. When a particular necessity is pressing on them too hard, so they finally give. And again, it is, not, it is given only when, when there is a particular uh, necessary need. Both of these ways of giving, reluctantly or under compulsion, both of these ways of giving do not honor the Lord even if we end up giving to the Lord. Now, should you say, hey, if I'm not giving reluctant, if I'm giving reluctantly or under compulsion, I should just not give at all until I'm happy to give? Well, friends, I think you should give uh, and ask the Lord to help you to give cheerfully. Give to the Lord. Work on your heart not to be reluctant. Work on your heart not to be comp- give under compulsion. Have you heard of the story of a, a young boy his uh, grandmother gave him uh, uh, 10 pennies. Five were so that he could give 
to the Lord when he goes to church, and five were, were so that he could get ice cream. So the boy goes with his pennies. And as he goes to church, he drops five. And he's saddened. And he says, God, I'm so sorry that you made me lose your five cents. We somehow give to the Lord with pain. God wants us to give generously, joyfully. The right way to give to the Lord is with cheerfulness, to give joyfully to the Lord because we want to. Donald Whitney, in his excellent book on spiritual discipline, says, one man said, there are three kinds of giving. Grudge giving, duty giving, and thanksgiving. Grudge giving says, I have to. Duty giving says, I ought to. Thanksgiving says, I want to. And he goes on to say, some people give to God like they give to the IRS after an audit. Others give to God like they give to the electric company. But a few people give to God like they give an engagement ring to their fiancé. Friends, give not reluctantly nor under compulsion, but joyfully. God loves a cheerful giver. A fourth principle about giving to the Lord. Give regularly, proportionately, and sacrificially. Give regularly, proportionately, and sacrificially. The Apostle Paul taught the principle of giving regularly in in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. He said to the church in Corinth, this is when they began thinking about this collection. He said to them, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Did you hear when Paul encouraged believers to put money aside every, on the first day of every week? In other words, Paul instructed Christians to give regularly. Giving to the Lord was not to be done merely when we feel like it, but it was to be done consistently with some pre-planning. Friends, ask yourself, are you giving to the Lord regularly? Paul also encourages believers to give, not only regularly, but in accordance with what they have. Paul uses the phrase, as he may prosper. In, in, in 2 Corinthians 8, he speaks often about this notion of giving as the Lord enables you to give proportionately. But he actually even says, give sacrificially. So not only regularly, not only proportionately, but give sacrificially. And this is what he highlights about the churches in Macedonia. In, in chapter 8, verse 3, Paul says, They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. In other words, these churches gave even more than we would ever expect for, from poor people to give. Have you ever given to the Lord beyond your means? Have you ever given to the Lord beyond your means? Have you ever considered giving in a, in a, in a specific um, way to the Lord that was um, not only a portion of your income, but actually say, I want to give, give beyond that? What makes the example of the churches in Macedonia striking is that they gave above their means not out of their affluence, but out of their extreme poverty. And this is a powerful example that you don't need money to be generous. Do you remember making any sacrifices because you desired 
to give a bigger contribution to the Lord? Have you ever done that? Have you ever said, I want to say no to this expense so that I can make a bigger contribution to the Lord? For some of us, if you're not used to giving to the Lord a particular portion of your income, it may feel a challenge to begin putting aside regularly or a particular proportion of your income to give to the Lord. But consider what sacrifices are you willing to make in your own spending patterns so that you can give to the Lord regularly, proportionately, and even sacrificially. If your giving to the Lord is, a way, is, a, is way below the, below the tithing level, ask the Lord to help you manage your money in such a way that you can free up resources to be able to give at least the amount of the Old Testament saints who did not yet know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask the Lord to help you get there. For those of you who are already at the level of of tithing to the Lord, ask the Lord to give you a heart that desires to increase not only the amount of money you give, but the percentage of money that you give to the Lord. Husbands and wives, consider having periodic conversations together about how you're giving to the Lord. How you're giving to the Lord. Um, Are you giving to Him only the leftovers? Only what's left at the end of the month? In Proverbs 3.9, the Lord says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. In times when people, especially in the Old Testament times, when people earned their income primarily through farming, God gave them a picture of how they should give to the Lord. Not only to, to give a, a tenth of their income to the Lord, but to give the first fruits. Uh, that meant that the, the first fruits that were we're getting ripe. You know how excited you are to see the first apples, to, feel, to see the first grapes, to see the first oranges? You want, you want to have the first for yourself. You want to be the first one to test it, to, to taste it. And the Lord says, the first fruits, give them to the Lord. It's an act of honor. It's an act of showing priority. The Lord is more important here. When you give to the Lord, don't just give him your leftovers. Give the first fruits of, your, of, of what God gives you. Friends, as you look at your finances, ask yourself if you're giving to the Lord only what you, what you have left. Or if you put the first thing to the Lord and then you keep the rest for yourself. A fifth principle um, of giving to the Lord, give not sparingly but bountifully. Look at verse, um, in chapter 8, verse 6. I'm sorry, in chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. When people ask about the tithe, they often ask with a hope that the answer is no. Should we tithe as Christians? And if you're asking that question with a hope that you get off the hook of needing to give to the Lord 10%, you're falling in this category of what Paul speaks here, All right, if if you want to sow sparingly, be my guest. But you will reap sparingly. The point here is no longer about percentage. The point here is wanting to have a heart that sows generously. We must understand that what God has done for us in Christ. And when we understand that, we no longer come to God and say, Lord, will you get me off the hook of this? heavy burden of, a, of the tithe? 
Oh, friends, if we come to the Lord with asking for a minimum generosity level, it may be an indication that we have not understood adequately the rich generosity that God has shown us in Jesus. Nor have we understood adequately the rich inheritance that God prepares for us to experience for all eternity because of Jesus. Oh, friends, we should come to the Lord with a heart that is interested not merely in the minimum requirement for giving. And if that's where you are, you are in the category of people who like to be sowing sparingly. Give not sparingly, but bountifully. Number six, give with confidence in God. Chapter 9, verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And listen to the confidence that Paul gives in, in, in chapter 9, verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Friends, when we give to the Lord regularly, when we give to the Lord proportionately, when we give to the Lord sacrificially, we have, we have an opportunity to practice our confidence in the Lord to supply what we give to Him, to replenish what we have given to Him. For some of us, we might give so little to the Lord that there's little or nothing that the Lord needs to replenish. And we're failing to practice our confidence in God who is able to supply. Chapter, uh, practice or, or application number seven. Give knowing that it produces thanksgiving to God. The Apostle Paul says in, in chapter uh, 9 verse 12, For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. In other words, Paul says to the Corinthians, when you give to the Lord, it causes other people to give thanks to God on your behalf. Our generosity, dear friends, produces thanksgiving to God in others. Our generosity is raising up, is causing God's name to be magnified, to be glorified, and His name to be given thanks to. This week, as I was preparing this message, I, uh, I received an email from one of our mission partners in Romania, from Titus Akim, and he was giving me an update um, about the work that's going on in Skornicest. And at the end of the email, he expressed thanks for the partnership that our, our church uh, is giving to him, both in supporting him in prayer and through finances. When we support others financially, we not only feel a need they have, but we cause them to give thanks to God. Friends, giving can cause more thanksgiving to God. Finally, give as an act of submitting to the gospel of Christ. Verse 13 in chapter 9, Paul says, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Paul wants the Christians in Corinth to know that our giving to the Lord should come as a consequence of our submission to the gospel of Christ. Do you see how Paul started? We're talking about the grace of God. Give because of grace. And now he closes this chapter again with giving as an act of submission to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The gospel of Jesus makes us generous because we now have a new experience of generosity. Not merely a human generosity, but a divine generosity. We have been the recipients of God's grace. The responding to, to the message about Jesus, responding to the gospel, frees us not only from sin, but it frees us from the love of money. It frees us from the love of possessions. So that the message of Jesus in us produces a fruit of generosity, of willingness to give up the glory of this earth so that we might enable others to experience the glory of heaven. When we give so that we support the gospel, others get to hear it. When we give so that we may provide for the needs of the saints, we give an example of what it means to live, not only for ourselves, but for others. I am amazed as a parent. I am amazed as a parent when we give a gift to our children. And they love opening it up, and they love uh, tossing the wrapping paper, and they love playing with it. And the moment comes, and it doesn't, it's not even five minutes after they get the gift, that one of the siblings wants to play with the same gift. And all that joy and enthusiasm about getting the gift and receiving it is transformed into these acts and faces of hatred. That is mine. And parents, as a parent, I have to come in and intervene and say, would you share that with your brother? I know it's, it's yours, but would you share it? No, it's mine. I'm telling you, I am asking you to share it. I gave it to you. Would you please share it? No. Friends, we do that to God all the time as adults. God gives us blessings. God gives us material possessions. And we say, it's mine. There's a need next to us. We want to hold everything that God has given us just for ourselves. And we don't behave any differently than little children. And as hard as it is for us as parents to work at, 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 this, at the selfishness of our kids, I fear that as we grow into adulthoods, that selfishness oftentimes doesn't untangle. It's still there. God says, give, share. I have given you. I will give you more. Share. I have so much more prepared for you. Give. It's all mine. I have given them to you. But we oftentimes behave like little kids. Friends, part of our commitment as members of this congregation is to encourage one another to fight against this childhood instinct to keep it all for ourselves. One of the commitments as members of this congregation is the following. We will contribute cheerfully, generously, and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. Friends, we need to encourage one another in this grace of giving. Why? Because our natural instinct is to, to do the same thing as our kids do, to keep it all for ourselves. Here's what we say to those who become members of this congregation. If you've never been used to giving regularly and proportionately, begin working towards the 10%. If you are there or when you get there, keep increasing it. 
keep giving to the Lord. Sometimes people ask, well, should I give a 10% from my, from my gross or from my net? It's a legitimate question. If you're, not using, if you're not used to giving at all or giving up to 10%, start making your goal to give 10% of your net. When you get there, make it your goal to give 10% of your gross. When you get there, make it your goal to, to make it higher. Don't stop. Don't put a cap to what you give to the Lord. If your heart is, is coming from the perspective of how much do I need to give to be right with God, you miss the point. You miss the boat. And that's why Jesus, when he spoke about tithing, he spoke it to the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees were concerned just with making sure they meet the quota, the 10%, and their hearts were still missing out. Friends, we don't want to have members who are good tithers, but who are going to hell. We don't want to have good tithers who actually miss the heart of God's grace. We don't want to have members who are, who, who are faithful tithers, but who actually miss the point about the grace of Jesus Christ. We want to have people. We want to have members who get Jesus. And because they get Jesus, everything else begins having a different perspective. Give to the Lord, not in light of your tithing. Give to the Lord in light of the grace of God. I want to conclude with one last quote by John Piper. It is irrational, he said. It is irrational to think that giving 10% of that money to the church settles the issue of good stewardship. In a world of such immense need and in a country of such immense luxury and under the commission of such a powerful Lord, the issue of stewardship is not, shall I tithe, but rather, how much of God's trust fund there I use to surround myself with comforts. Father, help us to grow in the grace that you have given us in Jesus. Help our hearts to grow in gratitude, in joyfulness, in the grace of giving. Not because you command it, but because you have saved us. You have given us Jesus. Father, thank you for the inexpressible gift that you have given to us in Christ. And help us as your people to be a people who reflect the generosity that you have given to us. Father, help us to grow in grace. In all areas, in all aspects of your grace especially in the grace of generosity for the, for the sake of the glory of Christ in whose name we pray.